Hi, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em, and we'd like to say a special hello to our one and only fan. Hello. Just, hello. Short and sweet. Today we'll be discussing Spellbound by Ali Farron. In 1925 New York, booze and non-heterosexuality were both illegal. A magical disaster is threatening the city, and New York's mightiest heroes are attempting to prevent the atrocity. Two of these champions are Arthur Kenzie, a wealthy veteran of the Great War, and Rory Brodigan, a poor orphan hiding a secret identity. When Arthur's past returns to threaten the future, they work together to save the city and themselves. There will be spoilers beyond this point, and we have a content warning for the racist and homophobic laws and social conventions of the past. I almost went woo. <laughs> woo! <laughs> now you would say something terrible that'd be like, yay! Yeah, yay! I felt the need to go woo! I don't know why. At least we're slightly less racist and homophobic now. <laughs> One can hope. <laughs> so, magic is a thing. Would you like to discuss the psychometry or psychometry? I'm not really sure how to pronounce that correctly. <laughs> <laughs> you listen to the audiobook and you don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> that bodes well for this discussion. I mean, I did, but my brain was going, well, it could go either way, really. Let's discuss the setting a little bit. This story takes place in 1925 in New York, New York. This is during the United States Prohibition era, so we don't have alcohol unless you're a <laughs> bootlegger. Yeah, oh, we have it. It's just underground. <laughs> We have secret alcohol. Yes, and not so secret alcohol because nobody stopped, really. They just tried to hide it. The illegalness made it taste better. Maybe. Forbidden. We also have, of course, the associated biases against mixed race couples and same sex couples, that sort of thing. Super lame. And like you said, magic is a thing. It's not a thing that people are out about. They're kind of secretive about it. Normal people, quote unquote, mundane, (laughs) don't necessarily know about it. It's kind of interesting the way the author presented the whole idea of magical powers, because a lot of it is very pseudoscience-y, like telekinesis and telepathy and things like that. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was cool. Yeah. There's also psychometry, which is the practice of scrying or touching an object and then being able to see its past. All these people who have powers are referred to as paranormals in the story, so I'll probably use that. But there's this idea of paranormals that project, like they send out their magic, and then there's paranormals that receive magic or are receptive to it such as the psychometry, where they're receiving the information. It's kind of interesting. Our two characters, Arthur and Rory, are both aware of magic. Arthur doesn't have any powers himself, but he learned of the existence of these powers when he was fighting in the war, I think, or after the war. And by the war, I mean World War I, the Great War. There hasn't been a World War II yet. Yes. (laughs) they're like this is the war to end all war we're gonna stop here because this is terrible uh i wish yeah no unfortunately not wait we've industrialized it 
<laughs> Let's take this thing on the road. Yeah, no. Oh, oh gosh, yeah. Sorry, I'm a terrible person. But I, I'm pretty sure we knew that. Nah, you're not a terrible person. You're just morbid. This is true. <laughs> I, I, will, I will definitely agree with the morbid part. <laughs> but that doesn't make you terrible. <laughs> well. It makes you interesting. <laughs> it makes it really difficult to get through social gatherings sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Arthur learned of magic when he was fighting in the Great War. He had two bros, Ellis and Philippe, who turned out to have powers. Surprise! One of the bros, Ellis, was with a woman named Gwen, who also had powers. And then the other bro, Philippe, is actually Arthur's secret lover that he had. Well, not so secret amongst his friends, but, you know, you can't be out about it. Unfortunately, Gwen touched a relic, which is like a magical object. So I guess at some point, a person with powers can send their powers into an object and then the object becomes more powerful than the person was and other people can use those powers if they're able to bind themselves to that object. Gwen touched a relic that was unbound and it fucked her up. (laughs) Her power was seeing auras And now that's basically like all she sees. Plus she's way more powerful and can manipulate auras. Plus she's kind of crazy now, which, you know, I think I'd go crazy too. (laughs) I don't blame her. (laughs) And then as far as we know, Philippe also was affected by this relic and kind of went out in a big blast of flame, killing Ellis and himself. Arthur is sad. He is alone. Always alone. So sad. (laughs) Like Batman. (laughs) But because of this personal history, he is on a mission to find these relics and protect the world from them. Because not only did they screw up his life and his friends' lives, but they also have world-ending properties. Even though there's not going to be a second world war, guys. <laughs> He's worried that they could be a big weapon in a future war. I do think it's funny that Rory tells Kenzie, like, oh, you know, you want to be careful about the stock market. Because, of course, that's before the Depression. The Great Depression. The oh, yeah. The stock market <laughs> in the in the 30s. Yeah. Like, right, basically right as 1930s hit. I thought that was funny. Yeah, and after that, Arthur makes, like, a secret mental note to consult his um, financial advisors. It's like, wait, the, the stock markets aren't predictable, or, you know, you gotta be careful with those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, let's not invest in those. <laughs> As opposed to now, when we're like, yeah, oh, how things have changed. Yeah, I still don't want to invest in those. But anyways. But there's numbers with it. It must be completely logical and sound if there's numbers with it. Uh Uh-huh. Sure. (laughs) There's numbers in Vegas, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. Isn't it basically the same thing? Like Mm -hmm. That's that's the impression I have. 
Yeah. From my non-financial literate, my, my, my financially illiterate brain. Okay. So that's Arthur. And then for Rory, he is a paranormal himself. He is a scryer. That's how he refers to it. But he has the power of psychometry. And he actually works in an appraisal shop, <laughs> kind of behind the scenes. He's protected by the owner of the shop, Mrs. Brodigan, who is the front for him. She runs the shop. She takes in the stuff. She handles all the customers. Rory's the one who touches the stuff and, and then lets her know if it's authentic or a forgery. But as far as the customers know, it's science. <laughs> He's blinding everyone with science. Rory is totally fine with being behind the scenes because he has a really shitty past. <laughs> I guess I'll talk about that now, too. Why not? We <laughs> dug up all Arthur's secrets. Rory actually is the son of an Italian mother and a pastor who's an English person. So the lofty whites. Yes. When his mother discovered she was pregnant, of course, his father was like, yeah, no, I'm not marrying you. I'm leaving. Bye. His mother got taken in by her uncle, I believe, raised Rory and things were great until she died and the uncle died. And then Rory had to go live in his father's church as a orphan because, of course, his father still wouldn't claim him. Oh, of course. And then one day when he was about 16 years old, his power showed up. It's kind of like the X-Men, I think. <laughs> and he touches something in the church. Of course, you know, there's a lot of old stuff in churches. <laughs> <laughs> so he touches something and he goes into a vision of the object's past and he's basically stuck there. So even though he's no longer touching the thing, he's like trapped in the past. His mind isn't in the present anymore. He's stuck in the past for so long that the father essentially thinks he's crazy and is just happy to get rid of him anyways, so has him committed to an asylum. When he's at this asylum, he meets a woman who happens to be Mrs. Brodigan's sister, who has the power of precognition, I guess, sort of. It's kind of, though, like in Doctor Strange, where he can see, like, all the different possibilities. Yeah. But she figures out how to snap Rory out of the past, brings him back to himself, and teaches him all she knows about handling his powers, which isn't a lot, but is better than what he had before, which was nothing. Oops. And then she promptly dies. Oops. But she knew that Rory was going to get lobotomized. So before she dies, she plans with her sister to rescue Rory. And Rory is now living as Mrs. Brodigan's nephew. His real name isn't actually Rory. That's his fake name because he has a fake identity and he's been living with Mrs. B for four years now. So ever since he was 16 or so. And he's poor and he lives in a boarding house that closes at 10 p.m. very inconveniently every night. He earns money from Mrs. B and she's really nice. She's awesome, mm -hmm. but they don't live together. So I, I don't know why. Maybe it's unseemly or something. Or maybe he doesn't want to. I get the impression like he really wants to stand on his own. That's what I kind of attributed that to. 
But yeah, I mean, it's never expressly stated as to why. I don't even know if we ever really get a look inside her home. Like maybe it's just a one bedroom flat. And by one bedroom, I mean all one room. Like a studio. Yeah, which was, I think, pretty common at the time. That would have been awkward. Or she could possibly even be living in a boarding house, like for women. We don't really know where Mrs. B lives. That's true. She used to be married. Her husband died. So I assume if she had the space, she would have invited him in because she cares about him. But yeah, given that she's unwed and she has exorbitant medical bills that she's trying to pay off. I imagine she lives pretty meagerly. Yeah, that's a good point. Anyway, we don't really know why, but the inconvenient hours of the boarding house matter. Yes. Just so you know. They become a factor. Rory's financial circumstances matter because that's why he's willing to take on jobs that don't feel quite right to him. Sometimes, every once in a while, I guess, they get a job where... Someone's trying to sneak something. Maybe it's something that actually is a weapon, even though their shop doesn't do weapons. Or maybe it's someone who's possibly trying to discover where Rory is hiding and capture him again and take him back to the asylum. You never know. (laughs) It could be something horrible like that. Nah. But (laughs) Rory is pretty strapped for cash at the beginning of the book. He's just purchased brand new glasses, which he needs. And therefore, doesn't have any leftover money. And he's worried about making rent. At this point, there's this job that comes in. And it's a box of letters. I think 22 letters. The owner wants to know by the next day whether any of them are legitimate letters or if they're all forgeries. Mrs. B is pretty cautious about this one. She feels like there's something up with it. Rory also feels like there's something up with it, but the owner of the box and the letters has said, well, they'll pay double for the rush job. So, of course, Rory's going to do the job because he needs the money. And he stays up all night in the shop, scribes the letters. It's a time-consuming process. He doesn't just touch it and then know things. He has to kind of mentally experience things. It's interesting the way that's presented in this book as well. I appreciated the writing, how we are slowly introduced to how Rory's powers work. Yeah, I really like that too. I like how the magic is done. By the end of the night, Rory is sure that this was a test because there were 21 fakes and one real one. (laughs) When Mrs. Brodigan meets up with Arthur Kenzie, who is the person who commissioned this job, she is pissed off. She arranges to meet with him at a restaurant or something instead of at the shop itself. And she's super suspicious. She accuses Arthur of wasting her time and testing her. But I think it really comes from protectiveness for Rory. She's worried about what this person is trying to do. What does this man really want? On Arthur's side, he's actually been on the lookout for someone who can scry. He needs someone who can to help him find these relics and control the relics, maybe? I'm not sure. He suspects Mrs. B is the psychometric. He doesn't know about Rory. Mrs. B is very protective of his identity. No one knows he works at the shop. Arthur says, well, since you did pass the test, I would like you to appraise this It's a relic, but he doesn't tell her that, of course. 
It's in a lead-lined ring box in a locked briefcase. He has this whole idea that, okay, she is the magical person I'm looking for. She obviously has really good control of her powers because these things don't bother her. I handed her a lead box and she didn't flinch at all. Holding lead hurts people who have powers. She says, okay, fine. I'll see if I'll do that for you. He offers her triple pay. However, he gets called away in the middle of this negotiation. And so they plan to meet the next day for this appraisal. He leaves the box in the briefcase with her as a show of trust. Mrs. B takes it back to the shop and tells Rory about it. Rory's like, okay, that's weird, whatever. But they're both kind of weirded out about it. They don't know what they're going to do. Arthur, meanwhile, goes to a speakeasy called the Magnolia to meet up with his friends, his team. I don't know. There's a group of siblings, Benson, Stella, and Jade, who all work at and own this speakeasy. They all have powers, I think. Jade is also a war hero or a spy or something. She's telekinetic. So she can move objects with her mind, (laughs) but not giant objects, objects within reason. So not people. Yeah, I liked that there were rules. Yeah, I like that too. And, And this brings in some diversity to the story too, because I think they're black. It isn't a huge plot point, but it's kind of interesting and it does come up a little bit. I like that we have a historical where people of color do exist. Here they are. Yeah, me too. Honestly, it makes the world feel more real. I think so. People that aren't just of one background, especially in a city. Yeah, it would feel weird if New York was just all white people. Yeah, I mean, Ellis Island. At the speakeasy, he talks with Stella about the ring that he left with Mrs. B. And apparently he and Stella have both heard this rumor from Zhang, who's another paranormal dude who lives in Chinatown, about... Another relic that's on its way to America. They're working their plan, you know? They're trying to handle these relics. That's their whole thing. Meanwhile, back with Rory, he's freaking out. Mrs. B has dropped off this briefcase, told him about the other job, said that Mr. Kenzie admitted that the letters were a test. He's like, this doesn't feel right. I don't like this. So he decides to open the briefcase early. It's really easy for him to open a locked briefcase because he can just touch it and then know how they locked it. (laughs) That's pretty handy. Inside the briefcase is a lead-lined ring case, as we know, and he opens it up. As you do. It was hard for me to put in my notes exactly what happens, but he's very affected by the ring. Once it's no longer contained by the lead, it has almost like a presence of its own, and it hits him because he's one of those paranormals that receives magic. So he's able to receive what the ring is sending. He falls down, breaking the frame of his new glasses. The ring falls down. It falls to the floor out of the box. It's a big fucking deal. It's almost like he's in a pit of congealed jello or something. You know, he can't move really well. He can't think really well. He's just... He realizes, well, I'm going to have to touch that ring to put it back in the box because it kind of fell under a piece of furniture. (laughs) He's not in a position at the moment where he can really control his abilities. Usually he has decent control, 
I would say, especially for someone with his powers. We'll get to that in a sec. But because he was surprised by this ring, he's kind of out of his element. So he briefly touches the ring, or tries to, and put it back in the box. But he gets trapped in this vision when he touches the ring. And it's of a cruel pale man on a ship who's wearing the ring and threatening someone who has tried to start a riot. And it just sounds really horrible. And he learns that the ring can control the wind, which is terrifying, I guess. When he finally, finally gets out of the vision and puts the ring away, he discovers he was lost in this vision for hours. Just crazy. So now he's also angry in addition to scared. (laughs) Uh, he, he puts the ring in the box, back in the briefcase, locks it up, locks the briefcase up, and angrily calls Arthur, which is a big no-no for him because, you know, he's secret. He's not supposed to exist. And he reams Arthur out over the phone. Like, how dare you give Mrs. B that? We don't appraise weapons. That's a piece of hell. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and then he hangs up and Arthur calls back to say he's coming to get the ring now. Arthur is freaking out because most psychometrics aren't really sane. (laughs) Like they're not really in control of their powers. And they kind of lose themselves a bit because they get lost in these visions and then they don't know what time they're in anymore. And they don't know what's real and what was in the past. And it's just a whole thing. And he thought maybe Mrs. B was safe because she seemed in really good control of her powers. But if she touched the ring then maybe it hurt her. And that's why this strange man is calling and yelling at him. Maybe. (laughs) Crap. Rory is also like, crap. I didn't want him to come here. So he's trying to lock up the shop so he can run away and hide. But before he can leave, Arthur shows up and he's looking for Mrs. B. Side note, Rory thinks Arthur is hot. (laughs) FYI. Just in case that was not clear. (laughs) Well, this is their meat cute, you know. It's important. Rory's like, no, there's nothing wrong with Mrs. B. She's fine. And then Arthur's like, well, if she isn't hurt, why did you call and bite my head off? Rory lies. He says, well, I thought maybe it was stolen, but he's actually just afraid of the ring. (laughs) He's cringing and freaking out because Arthur is holding the briefcase. (laughs) He's like, no, don't open it up, please. (laughs) Leave it locked in there. (laughs) Arthur says, no, you called it a weapon. You called it a piece of hell. (laughs) Rory's like, uh, did I, though? Are you sure? I mean, isn't that just a turn of phrase everybody uses? That's what we call stolen things, right? (laughs) Arthur interprets all this cringing and worry from Rory to be from him. He doesn't realize it's the ring. At this point, he doesn't realize that Rory is the one with the powers. He says Rory should apologize to him over drinks. Kind of strong arms him into going out to the speakeasy with him he has plans to get rory drunk and then interrogate him about mrs brodigan he also thinks rory is hot just putting that out there (laughs) (laughs) case it wasn't obvious it's actually really cute how they think each other are hot honestly the way it's written in the story is cute it's endearing it's not insta necessarily it's just like oh wow that person's totally my type yeah they believably spark So they go to the Magnolia. Arthur notices Rory has broken glasses. He asks about that. Rory's like, yeah, that's none of your business. A lot of times Arthur asks Rory about his past or whatever. Rory's like, yeah, none (laughs) (laughs) yet. 
So you can go chase yourself is what he says. <laughs> Rory's lied about his age. He said he was 26. He's actually only 20. <laughs> Oops. He lied about having had drinks before. Yeah, no, that didn't happen. Prohibition happened when he was a kid. Again, that didn't mean that alcohol wasn't around. It's feasible he could have. He's very sheltered. Yes. Um, oh, I know that. I'm just saying. And we pretend alcohol didn't exist. <laughs> okay. I understand it's a pretense, but that's what it is. <laughs> Rory turns out to be kind of a light, <laughs> a lightweight. Arthur starts to feel guilty when he figures this out. Rory is really loose-tongued when he's drunk. He starts admitting all sorts of things. Yeah, no, I'm actually only 20. And oh, hey, did you know this glass that I'm touching is from this place? And did you know blah, blah, blah? And (laughs) (laughs) he like starts to tip over and he touches Arthur's suit. And he's like, oh, did you know where this suit was made and who made it? And starts telling him all this stuff. And Arthur realizes that Rory is the person he was looking for. Uh Uh-oh. And he's also worried now because... Rory is drunk and alcohol adversely affects paranormals and makes them lose control of their powers. And so he thinks, oh no, Rory's going to be lost in the past with my suit and the tailor who made it. <laughs> and the horse he rode in on. <laughs> Arthur starts being a bit more forceful. He's like, you need to come out of the past right now. <laughs> Stay here. Focus on me. What year is it? He gets Benson to help him get Rory to a car Once they're in the car on the way to Arthur's flat, he, I guess, is planning to watch over Rory. Rory thinks for some reason that Arthur's taking him to his place. Arthur's holding on to Rory's hands, trying to keep him grounded, trying to keep him anchored in reality. Rory is super drunk and flirty and just like, oh, you're beautiful and all this stuff. And he starts talking to him in Italian and Arthur only understands some Italian and it's all Italian that sounds flirty. And he's trying to convince himself, no, this dude is just drunk. He doesn't know what's going on. He's stuck in the past. Who knows what he's saying? Who knows what he's thinking? <laughs> this isn't real. He doesn't really like me. Although he wishes it were real because he likes Rory <laughs> or what he knows of him. When they get to Arthur's building, Rory realizes where he is and he starts freaking out again. He tries to run away. Arthur catches him. No, I'm not trying to do anything nefarious. I just want to watch over you while you sleep it off. Rory says, oh, I thought you were going to try to take me back. Arthur's like, hmm. (laughs) Ping, ping, ping. Gotta know more about that. Take you back (laughs) where? Arthur is very nosy and he's very rich. And so he's able to figure things out very easily. I guess money helps. And the sense of feeling entitled, I'm sure helps. Yeah, he's got that entitled richness, which actually he gets called out on a little bit too in the book, which I appreciated. me too. (laughs) It was kind of annoying. Like Arthur pays the taxi driver double to ensure his silence. He pays triple to this person. He pays whatever, to that person. It's like, dude, at the rate you're throwing away money, you're not going to be rich for very long. I think it's important to point out that paying double or triple of something, depending on what is being paid for, isn't a lot of money. Like, it's not how we think of money today. Okay, fine. But still. Yeah, I don't know. And he's also the son of a congressman. So he has kind of like this fame, sort of like people know who he is. That's one of the reasons he's super duper in the closet. Yes, and super generous. I mean, one of many. (laughs) To keep the quiet. Yeah. And I think, isn't his brother a politician too? Or brothers? 
Yeah, at least one of them is. He's the youngest of like six kids or something. Yikes. He's 28. We have a bit of an age gap, 20 and 28. The next morning, Rory wakes up alone in Arthur's bed. Jade is in the room. She says, oh, Arthur had to be called away, but he let me know that you could stay. He'd like to talk to you, but if you want to leave, that's fine too. Rory, of course, wants to leave because he's remembering that he came on to Arthur and now he's worried about the repercussions of that. Yeah. Rory is a very innocent person. I would say he's, I don't know, they don't really define his sexuality, but he likes women and he likes men. So he's bi or pan or who knows. But he's not really ever had a relationship, though. And he's worried that it's going to be taken poorly and will be potentially a violent thing if he sees Arthur again. But once he gets back to the shop, he has a really good day. He's feeling super grounded, way more than normal. At the end of his day of work, he goes back to his boarding house and Arthur is there waiting for him. He picked the lock to his room. It's kind of creepy. It's like, oh, hello. Why are you here? I wanted to ask you about that. (laughs) Your thoughts on that. This scene. Okay, so Rory shows up. Arthur grabs him and pulls him inside and then does not let him leave. Yeah. He says, hello, Theodore, and reveals that he knows an awful lot about Rory's past and that he has powers and all sorts of things. He just lays it all out there. Yeah, so I've been looking into you and I know this stuff. My power is finding information by paying people. And Rory is scared, genuinely frightened because of his past. I mean, he was going to get fucking lobotomized, all right? So he's a little concerned about someone knowing who he is and what he can do. I think most of the scene were in Arthur's head. And Arthur is kind of like, oh, wow, he's trapped himself in this room. He has a lot of locks on the door to keep someone in. He has a board above his window so it can't be opened. The room is really drab and poor and small and frankly ugly. He doesn't really have any comforts except for one quilt that Mrs. B made him. In, in Arthur's head, he's like, I want to take him away from all this and keep him safe and rescue him. He, he has this whole hero fantasy. But I'm just concerned about poor Rory in <laughs> yeah. this moment, dude. Man, I'm surprised he doesn't shut down here. Yeah, totally. There's really not a lot said about this moment later in the story either. Like, oh, wow, Arthur, you were kind of an asshole back there. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, Rory, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. That was overstepping. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, there's none of that. It's just, oh, that's that's what happened, guys. <laughs> and Arthur was entitled to it because he's rich. <laughs> yeah, and it's this paternalism thing that gets woven into stories sometimes. Or maternalism, depending on the story. Yeah. You don't know how to live your life. Here, I will take over <laughs> for you. Arthur's ready to be Rory's daddy. Even though you're a grown-ass adult, (laughs) you know, you're not making the right adult decisions here. Uh Uh-huh. He doesn't have any of the insight into why Rory is doing these things or lives this way or anything. He doesn't know. He knows facts. And then he makes assumptions. Yeah. And then he gets to essentially get away with it without any sort of learning. Right. No repercussions. Yeah, no learning (laughs) that that is wrong to do. 
I think the impact of this moment is lessened because it is in Arthur's head. And so we get his good intentions in this moment. I think if we had been more in Rory's head, it would have been harder to forgive Arthur. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't know whether Arthur deserves (laughs) forgiveness, but (laughs) that's a whole nother thing. Rory's fine with it, I guess, eventually. Well, they usually are. It's okay. (laughs) Whoever's getting steamrolled is usually like, it's fine. (laughs) No, I like it. It's because you care, so it must be okay. At this point, though, Rory suspects Arthur's motives. He is now suspecting that Arthur wants to use his powers. And he's been warned back when he was at the asylum about those types of people who'll pretend to be your friend, but really they just want to leash you, trap you, and drain you of all your powers and use you for their own gain. And who cares about your personal welfare? He's not really dissuaded from this idea because Arthur starts telling him about how he has a lot of paranormals working for him. And he wants to meet with Rory tomorrow and maybe hire him. And he promises to pay off Mrs. B's debts if Rory agrees to meet with him. He has already paid off Mrs. B's debts, but he doesn't let Rory know that. He pretends this is like, no, look, I'll do this for you. That's how I'll pay you for this meeting. So Rory agrees because he doesn't want Mrs. B to be indebted to mobsters. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) makes sense to me. I'd probably do a lot to protect my loved ones from mobsters, you know, (laughs) especially from that era where they're pretty damn powerful. Yeah. When he attends the meeting the next day, he learns about Arthur's whole gig, how he's looking for other relics. He's planning to keep them safe and protect the world from the magic. And he wants Rory's help. Like maybe Rory would be able to figure out how to handle the relics or something. But he also wants to help Rory. And this is where it kind of switches from Arthur looking for a psychometric to be on his team, essentially, to, no, no, I must protect the Rory. He is the precious. (laughs) Uh. Oh, his powers, but he can't control them. No, he's a little baby. He doesn't know what he's doing. I want to send him away to the country with my family. (laughs) Rory gets mad at this meeting because, again, it just reinforces the idea that he's going to be their pet scryer, essentially. He doesn't want that. (laughs) Arthur and Jade then go meet with Zhang to discuss the arrival of another paranormal, Gwen, who's coming to town. Her immigration papers were handled by Luther Mansfield, who is not a paranormal, but is a dude who likes to collect magical artifacts, I guess. And apparently isn't very nice. Uh-oh. He's kind of reminds me of like a really dumb Lex Luthor. <laughs> and, and his name is Luthor, so that helps. Yeah, they're kind of concerned about Gwen showing up, though, because Gwen is kind of crazy. And she can manipulate people's auras, which can be very painful and deadly. And it's worrisome. Back with Rory... He's working at the shop. A courier shows up and delivers an envelope full of money. It's from Arthur. (laughs) It comes with a card, Arthur's card. And on the back is written Arthur's personal phone number and the words call anytime. Rory is pissed off. He's like, what the fuck is this? I am not your pet. I am not your charity case. I don't want this money. I don't want to be part of this. Leave me the fuck alone. 
I don't like it. Arthur is at home drinking and moping over Rory. He's like, ah, I was bad. I got him drunk and it hurt him. I just want to protect the Rory, but he hates me. I will always be alone. (laughs) When he receives a phone call from Rory, who's angry about the money, Arthur's like, no, I'm paying you for scrying the ring. You told me the info about the ring that I wanted to know. I said I'd pay triple for that. So that's what that is. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to throw you a lifeline. I'm trying to make life better for you. It's not a leash. It's kind of patronizing. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I've been at your place, Rory. I know you live in a <laughs> shithole. Please take the money. It's the least I could do. <laughs> Rory is kind of nonplussed by this whole thing. He's still not sure about Arthur's intentions, but he wants to trust Arthur. He wants to. And the idea of someone wanting to give him a lifeline, wanting to help him out, and it coming from a genuine place is very attractive to him. He goes to bed and he has sort of a dream. Even though he doesn't know it, it's about Gwen and the relic, which happens to be an amulet. He's thinking, okay, well, in this dream, potentially not a dream, a man was murdered. I don't know if this happened in the past. I don't know if it happened right now. I don't know if it happened at all. But if I call the cops, they won't believe me, obviously. So I'll call Arthur just because I feel like I should tell somebody. (laughs) Somebody who has some sort of power. So he does in the middle of the night. And Arthur says he's going to come there to be with him. Rory's like, no, don't you dare come over. But he realizes Arthur's going to come over anyway, because, you know, Arthur oversteps. He listens so well and honors other people's wishes (laughs) so well. Yeah. (laughs) Boundaries, what? (laughs) So Rory goes to the shop to hide from him. Like, he leaves the boarding house in the middle of the night. (laughs) But Arthur shows up at the shop, because of course he does. And he thinks that what the dream was, was Rory sensing the relic. He thinks maybe the relic got taken out of its lead-lined case, and Rory picked up what it was putting down. Arthur also notices that Rory's hands are hurting. When he was dreaming, he was sleepwalking and trying to get out of the door and scratched all his nails down and everything, and it's bloody and gross. Arthur takes care of him. It's very sweet. It's kind of intimate. I feel like there's maybe a little bit of trust happening here. And then Rory, of course, says that maybe Arthur could kiss it better. Well, no. He's the type of guy who just blurts shit out, you know? (laughs) (laughs) He's into Arthur. He doesn't really think. He just says it. And it seems like maybe he will. Maybe there will be a kiss. But then there's a noise from upstairs. And Arthur pulls back, like way back. Like he scoots his seat all the way back. (laughs) He's like, whoa there. (laughs) This dude is... Again, poor little abused orphan boy. He has issues. Who knows where his mind is? He just woke up from this vision. He doesn't know what he's saying. I can't trust or believe any of this. I can't do this. And really, even if he was into men, I shouldn't be that man. (laughs) Because I'm rich and powerful. And he's someone who is barely an adult. And can't make his own decisions. He gets called out for that too. Like the whole, I'm going to make decisions for Rory for his own good. (laughs) Like that type of thing. He gets called out, but I don't know if that really helps. That's, I think, one of the 
biggest things keeping them apart. Because every time Rory makes some sort of overture, Arthur is like, yeah, I totally want this, but no, I must deny it. So Arthur leaves. Later that day, Rory comes over to Arthur's to give him back his money. While he's there, he discovers that Arthur has a kitchen, but no coffee maker and no food in his house. And this bothers Rory because he's already nesting. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I need to take care of this man. I'm going to go grocery shopping and cook him dinner. I think I forgot to mention it, but you know how Rory's glasses were broken? Arthur had fixed them that night after like when he was drunk. So there's that too. Arthur takes Rory out for coffee. They walk across the park. And Arthur very carefully brings up the drunken flirtiness from before. He's trying to ascertain, was this sincere? Do you actually like dudes? Do you perhaps like me? Hmm? (laughs) Rory, of course, is concerned about repercussions as well. So he's like, no, that was all bunk. I was just talking random shit. No, don't pay attention to me. I'm crazy. You know, all psychometrics are crazy. And then in my notes, I have, no, he must stay away and leave the Rory alone. He is a poor little orphan boy and must be protected at all costs. But it's kind of true. That's Arthur's mind space. Arthur has to go to work, so they separate. Later, Arthur is having lunch and he's at the top of a construction site. Like he knows the construction workers and they let him go have lunch in a very unsafe place up high. You know, when you're rich, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not bitter. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Rory comes to find him to bring him lunch. This is the first time we get an inkling that Rory has somehow connected with Arthur on a magical level because he's able to find him just physically. There he is. He has like a homing beacon now. They talk about Rory's past. Rory's kind of scared of heights, but he gets a bit braver as they're talking. Again, more intimacy, more opening up, more closeness. Rory says he knows he's safe with Arthur because Arthur has said multiple times, I got you. Like, I want to take care of you. He says he's got Arthur too if he wants. And it looks like they might almost kiss. But no, the construction workers have come back to work, so they can't. When Rory goes back to the shop... He talks to Mrs. B and discovers a young English woman had been at the store. Since he's been told about Gwen, he's worried about Mrs. B. He doesn't want this stuff to come back and hurt Mrs. B. Mrs. B is amazing and deserves protection, which I agree. Mm -hmm. Out of all the people in the story who deserve protection, (laughs) it's Mrs. B. Yes. (laughs) Rory, because of this, has decided to take Arthur up on his offer to get out of town and stay with Arthur's family. He calls Arthur up. And says he wants to leave like that night. However, Mrs. B does not want to get on a train that night right away. She wants to go to church first. Rory is concerned. He walks her to the church. He drops her off. And then he gets caught in another vision. And it's about Gwen Mansfield and the amulet. I really like how this is written. I'm not going to do a very good job describing it. But it's a very good scene. He's stumbling about like a drunk, kind of in and out of the vision. Somehow he's able to pull out of the vision at least a little bit multiple times because he's trying to get to Arthur, even though normally in that sort of case, he would be getting pulled toward the relic. However, he's got his magical hooks into Arthur (laughs) and is able to head his way. Luckily, Jade and Arthur see him. Rory gets pushed into the road 
almost gets run over by a car. Jade is able to use her telekinesis to manipulate some objects and kind of knock him out of the way so he doesn't get hurt. Arthur runs down to him. Rory tells them both about the vision and that the relic, the new one, controls the tide. Arthur has been invited to Mansfield's party that he's throwing, I think for the mayor or something. And so he has plans to steal it from Mansfield that night when he's at the party. Rory insists, you know what, I can't leave town. I have to help you because I'm the one who can crack the safe. Got this handy power. Arthur is super protective. What if you get stuck in a vision again? Rory says, well, I pulled myself out this last time by following you. You're my anchor. So we get the whole introduction of the idea of someone being someone else's anchor. Of course, every time this gets brought up for most of the story, Rory's like, yeah, no, I was lying. None of that is real. I'm insane, remember? (laughs) And then Arthur's like, oh, but I wanted to be special to you. That's so sad. (laughs) So Rory is hanging out with Arthur and the gang. Jade, Zang, and Arthur are planning this heist. And once Jade and Zang leave, it's after 10 o'clock. Rory's boarding house is shut down. It locks its doors at 10. Rory's like, well, crap, where am I going to go for the night? He plans to go back to the shop. Arthur's like, yeah, no, you should stay here. Of course I wouldn't throw you out. I want to protect you. I am your daddy. Hmm. No, they don't have that dynamic, but they totally could and it would fit. But he's like, my bed is yours. My ears are yours. If you need someone to listen, I'm willing to be a distraction for you if you want. Rory's like, okay, all right. This guy is awesome. I'm really into him. (laughs) He throws himself onto Arthur's lap and starts kissing him. And then he's like, oh, crap. Oh, yeah. Gay stuff. Oops. And he throws himself off of Arthur. Sorry about that, man. I didn't mean it. (laughs) Arthur's like, you should be sorry because I never said you could stop. More kissing ensues. Progresses to making out. Arthur gets a lot of consent. There's a lot of check-ins. They have the sex. Rory is very sure this is great, even though he's a virgin. So everything's fine. They're happy. It's very sweet. The next morning they wake up together. It's sweet. They have sexy shower time, more sexy kisses. Arthur is like, I am going to fall in love with this guy. I better not. I am definitely taking advantage of him. This is bad. Part of the reason he feels like that is because every time... Rory says something like kind of sweet, like, oh, you're my lifeline. You're my anchor. You're my guy. You're the person. And then Arthur follows up where he's like, yeah, no, no, I was just talking shit. Never mind. Oops. (laughs) So he wants to be special to Rory. He is special to Rory, but Rory won't admit it. So there's some confusion (laughs) there. It's time for the heist. Arthur's dressed up in a tux. Rory is dressed like a waiter because no one pays attention to the help. This is the point where Arthur gets kind of called out for that. Um, He's like, that's not true. And then everyone else is like, yeah, so what's your housekeeper's name? What's her first name? (laughs) Because they all know and he doesn't. (laughs) They get to Mansfield's house. Arthur charms people at the party. Jade and Zhang are around the back of the house with Rory helping him sneak in. He's going to pretend to be a waiter at the party. When he gets inside, he's waitering around and sees Arthur surrounded by women. He gets jealous. I guess 
because he doesn't really have any boundaries as to who he's attracted to, he's attracted to all sorts of attractive people. He maybe assumes Arthur is the same. Hmm. So he's like, oh, these women, they're definitely better for Arthur than I could ever possibly be because I am a poor little orphan boy. (sighs) I have nothing to offer anyone. He also sees the knife guy from his visions. So each time he's had a vision about Gwen, she's had like this big scary henchman with a knife who kills people and he sees this henchman with a knife heading toward arthur he is protective and accidentally crashes into this dude and knocks things over arthur rushes over and makes some excuses so he's able to help him up and check in with him and everything rory explains that there was this man heading for him but no one can see this man he's disappeared Arthur's like, yeah, don't ever risk yourself for me. Don't do that. Rory's like, but I was jealous. I mean, it's more eloquent than that, but yeah. Arthur's like, yeah, no, I like only men. So when you see me talking to women, don't be jealous. Rory's like, oh, how novel. (laughs) They sneak off. It's part of the plan. They were supposed to meet up. So they sneak off together to find the safe. Zhang astrally projects so he can sneak around and make sure their way is clear. They find the library where the safe is. It's behind a painting. Rory touches the painting and it happens to be a trap. He gets trapped inside this painting. It's really another really good scene. He's really trapped. It's freaky. He can't get out. And then Arthur kisses Rory and that breaks him out of it. But at that point, they've taken too long. So Mansfield and his guards and everyone has shown up. Before they can get inside the room, Arthur shoves Rory out the window (laughs) And stays alone with Mansfield and the mobsters. Gwen is also there. She's able to tell that Arthur has a special paranormal now. Because his magic has been woven into Arthur's aura. Ellis is also there. So we have this big reveal. Ellis is alive. What? Ellis's power was being invisible. So that's why (laughs) no one could see him. He just casually slits Mansfield's throat. So we have like this whole buildup like, oh yeah, Mansfield's this scary, awful, horrible guy. Yeah, no, he's dead now. Whatever. Ellis reveals that the knife is a relic that he has been bound to. When Arthur thought that he and Philippe had died, actually they'd been captured. They were forced to fight to the death over this knife. Ellis killed Philippe because Gwen needed him, even though he and Philippe were really good friends. Apparently that wasn't (laughs) enough. And then he and Gwen have been looking for another relic so that Gwen can fix her powers, I guess. And they don't care about who they hurt. Screw them. They also decide they want Rory's help. They want to know what kind of power he has. And if he's useful, they're going to keep him and make him help them. And they decide to use Arthur as bait to get to Rory. Uh Uh-oh. Back with Rory, he's woken up with a splitting headache. Jade used a jacket to telekinetically break Rory's fall out of the window. I thought that was really clever. I like that. Yeah, I like that too. But Jade brings him up to speed. Gwen and Ellis have Arthur. Oh no, what are we going to do? This is the point where Rory kind of steps up. Up until this point in the story, it's all been Arthur's protecting Rory. Arthur does stuff for Rory. Rory is poor little orphan boy who must be protected at all costs. He can't control his powers. What are you talking about? Rory's like, fuck no, I'm getting my man back. (laughs) 
He is able to figure out where Arthur is because of magic. He's put together these clues from before. Like, I was able to bring myself out of the vision by going to Arthur. I was able to pull myself out of that trap in the painting by going to Arthur. I can figure out where the fuck Arthur is. Yay. Mrs. Brodigan will drive us around while we look for him. Okay. No one else can drive, apparently. That's fine. They take Arthur's car and the ring. Remember the relic that Mm -hmm. they have. Mrs. B is driving them all around. Rory touches the ring again to scry it. And then somehow that enables him to find Arthur. I'm not entirely sure how that is the deciding factor there, but okay. (laughs) They learn that Arthur is at Coney Island, which is like a big amusement park. Arthur is tied to a Ferris wheel, in fact. (laughs) (laughs) Gwen is monologuing. She has plans. She's going to get Rory to unlock the amulet, and then she can control the tide and sink Baron Zeppler's ship. Baron Zeppler is a telepath. He's the whole reason she got fucked up. So she has revenge fantasies. The Scooby gang arrives. Yay! They leave Mrs. B with the ring and the car. Of course they'll be safe in the parking lot, right? (laughs) Sure. It's fine. Parking lots are notorious for their safety. (laughs) But the baddies get the jump on them. I didn't mention this before because I didn't think it was important until this point. But one of the other paranormals in this story is a kid who can make potions. And he had given Arthur three potions. And when Gwen and Ellis captured Arthur, they got control of the potions. They're able to use one of the potions to capture the Scooby gang. It dispels magic. So Zhang was there astrally, so he disappears. Jade is unable to do her telekinesis thing. Rory got missed by it because Gwen wants his powers. Things are looking kind of dire. Arthur is hurt. Jade is cuffed with lead cuffs. They found Mrs. B. Huh, shocker. (laughs) She's tied up next to Arthur. And Gwen has found Rory and is thrilled to finally be able to discover his power. She knows what it is once she looks at him because she can see his aura. They make him scry the amulet to see how to unlock it by threatening to kill everyone. Of course, Rory is like, yeah, no, I don't want everyone to die. So I will scry the locket. He tells them it will take the blood of two paranormals and high tide. Gwen makes Rory go down to the ocean with her. She cuts both their hands, unlocks the amulet. And puts it on and now she can control the waves and she can see people normally again without being clouded by their auras. However, Rory kind (laughs) of forgot, kind of, sort of, not really, to tell her that if she uses the amulet on a full moon, it's going to fuck her over. And it happens to be a full moon. I guess because the amulet controls the tides and the full moon also affects the tides, too much power gets sucked into the amulet That's how the last owner died. While all this is happening, Ellis has run down to the beach. He's concerned about what's going on because when Gwen started controlling the waves, all the baddies that she had with her ran away because they were scared. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that makes sense. So he runs down to her. Mrs. B has snuck Arthur a hairpin so he's able to unlock his cuffs. And then Arthur gives the pin to Jade so she can unlock her cuffs. 
Arthur is going to run down to the sea because he wants to help Rory. And Mrs. B also handily has the ring in the box. So she gives that to Arthur too. Arthur is heading to the beach. Rory and Gwen and Alice are at the beach. Alice and Rory are trying to convince Gwen to take the amulet off. They're like, take it off, put it down on the sand. You'll be safe. It'll be okay if you take it off. Gwen says, okay, but she takes the amulet off and she throws it out into the sea instead of putting it in the sand. And then Alice grabs her and opens another of the potions and they disappear. But because the amulet got thrown into the sea instead of put safely on the sand, it's going to cause a tidal wave. Arthur has come close enough that he's able to throw the ring box to Rory. Rory catches it, puts the ring on, and he's able to unlock it and use its wind magic to hold the tidal wave back, saving everyone. It really takes a lot out of him because he has to scry the ring to figure out how to unlock it, and then he has to actually unlock it, and then he has to do the magic, and he's kind of still in this vision, and it's just this whole thing, very impactful, so he collapses. Arthur runs over to him and kisses him. That pulls him out of the vision. Mrs. B drives them all back. Yay! (laughs) Everything's fine now. Rory puts the ring back in the box and gives it back to Arthur, and he stays the night with Arthur again. The next day, we get a little bit of denouement. Arthur tells Rory that Ellis and Gwen teleported away with the potion and are on the run. The Baron, who was supposed to be on the ship that Gwen wanted to sink, he never boarded the ship, so he's still out there. And the amulet is missing because Gwen threw it into the ocean, and somehow they have to find it at some point. Rory tells Arthur that he had anchored his magic into Arthur's aura. He feels bad about that because he didn't get Arthur's permission for that. And consent is a big thing. Mm -hmm. And he wants to try to figure out how to remove it and all that because he didn't ask if it was okay. But Arthur doesn't want him to remove it. He wants to be Rory's anchor. He wants to be his lifeline. He wants to see where this relationship is going to go. He's fine with it. He's happy. And he says he's going to go take a vacation and see his family for a bit. And he invites Rory and Mrs. B to go with him. And he also bought Rory a coffee pot. (laughs) The end. (laughs) The coffee pot's important, I guess. I don't know. Coffee is a lifeline. I think it's important to say this is the first book in a trilogy that follows the same two characters for all three books. So it makes sense that while it's not really a cliffhanger ending, but it kind of is, I guess, because they've decided to be together at the end of this book yeah they reach a milestone they just haven't it's not all flushed out and we still have baddies on the loose and all that true but the main story arc has been completed so it's not too cliffhangery how is the audiobook this book was narrated by eric bloomquist i feel like he narrated it well and did a good job with encapsulating the various characters Did you feel like there was good differentiation between Arthur and Rory? Sometimes it was a little tricky, but most of the time it wasn't. But that could have just been me. (laughs) I am always a factor. Are you happy for their happy? I think they'll be happy. So, yay. I'm happy for them. I know they're not happy yet (laughs) because there's drama yet to unfold. But I think they got to a reasonably good place. Which is important when the romance continues beyond the first book. Yes. What about you? Were you happy for they're happy? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy for them. I think they're a good fit. I think that Arthur's protectiveness is a good fit for Rory because he is not used to having people care about him. Yes. I think that's 
a positive thing for him. I think it's good that they have friends that will call Arthur out on his shit when he overdoes it. Because that's really my biggest concern is that Arthur has a lot of power in this relationship. He's aware of it, which is good. But I think it's good to make sure that that's consistent and you do have checks in place so that the other person still has consent and is an equal partner. I think they'll be good. Obviously, it was a happy for now ending, not a happily ever after. And that's fine. It makes sense for the story. Yeah, so let's rate them. How do you rate Arthur? I put like, he's pretty close to awesome. And I think the reason he gets as close as he does is basically his friend group going, dude, your entitlement is showing. (laughs) Honestly, if that wasn't there, I would feel more ill. I think one of the things that just either I need more resolution to, which I doubt there will be, maybe it's just me, but just made me super uncomfortable how he sneaks in Rory's place and then just lies in wait. Yeah, like a total creeper. That was really uncomfortable for me. And I don't know if that's that's a me thing or... No, it's, it's not. I mean, I know Rory had a problem with it, but I think you're totally right in that if we saw that through Rory's eyes, Arthur wouldn't come off so good. No. I know it would have been problematic for the romance, but I do wish we would have seen it more through Rory's eyes, especially since I don't feel like it was fully addressed. I agree with that. Hey, you did this super creepy thing. But it's okay. I'm okay with it. It's like, well, how creeped out did Rory get? Because it felt, for me... Maybe it was the audio version. I don't know. And just the meanness of me. (laughs) Like, it was super fucking creepy. I'm like, yeah, okay. So Rory did overstep with the shiny things, right? I'm totally that person. I know, because I've done it where they're like, don't press that button. And I'm like, okay. Even when they told me what it does, I'm like, but I can still press it. (laughs) And I have pressed it. I have to know for myself. (laughs) Because I felt that it was worth it. So I get the curiosity of the shiny button pushing. Oh, totally. But that is not the same thing as the sneaking into someone's place and then staying there. And then trapping that person. Yeah. And then preventing that person from leaving when they clearly want to go. It's one of those tricky things with romance. The genre is it's like, well, they're supposed to be together. So we'll just overlook these things. Or they're doing it from a place of of caring, so the behavior is okay. (laughs) It gets this little, like, romance treatment or or gilding or painting or something. There is a tropey nature to it, too, as well. The protective person gets some sort of leeway, like Edward watching Bella sleep. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay because he's protective. I guess. Yeah. That's a very famous example, but it is a thing. Not that that excuses it. It also ties up for me with the problem with him, which is there's that plus the paternalism. You're living life wrong. No, he's living within his means (laughs) and his means are meager, especially compared to yours. And yes, there is this added element of his magical specialness that he has to take into account, which I feel like given his circumstance, he was doing a good job with. I think so. He's not doing it wrong. He's just not doing it the way... One would do it if they had, oh, I don't know, bags of money (laughs) or whatever. There is a point in the story where Rory gets mad at Arthur for being overprotective. And then Jade is actually present and she points out that Arthur is also overprotective with Mm -hmm. his friends. 
It's not like he does it just with romantic relationships. He does it with everybody. Therefore, it's fine. Do you feel like that lessens the impact at all or does it make it more problematic? I think it makes it in some ways more problematic that people yeah. just sort of let him get away with it because it, it's sort of brought up in the story and it makes sense because it's consistent with the time. But Rory, with his Italian English heritage, the Italian aspect of that was not considered white. So there's that aspect, too, of all of this power dynamic and Arthur's paternalistic behaviors. Yeah. Oh, he's civilized. And the whole... And maybe I misinterpreted the beginning of the story, but the ship that they're on that's using the magicalness, I think that's a slave ship. It was kind of lightly implied, yes. Because, I mean, they use the term cargo. To describe people, yes. I'm probably way reading into things that were never intended to be things in the story. Well, no, I think there were things that were intended because it is brought up that Rory isn't necessarily white. It is brought up that people of different ethnic backgrounds being in mixed relationships is not okay and is something that kind of has to be hidden. It is brought up the whole idea that people on that ship in that vision were cargo and had started a riot. I mean, all that stuff is present in the story and all of it, I think, is it's handled lightly, but it's there and I don't think it's rug swept no. necessarily. I kind of suspect that because this is the first of a trilogy that we might get more depth into some of those things as we go or, or as the reader goes through it because it's setting it up. And plus, I mean, I, I get that it is a romance and you... <laughs> want to keep a certain degree of, of lightness and happiness. Well, no. See, I think that's unfair because there's a lot of romance where things get very dark and fucked up and gritty. That is true. We've read some of those. Yeah. So I, I don't think that it's necessarily that. I think that either the author didn't want to delve deeply into it or the author is setting it up for the future book. I like that it was there, though. I don't think that's coming across. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciated it for sure. That they're pulling in the many aspects of society. It was something that I really enjoyed. And the rich white dude is getting called out. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he grows, maybe he doesn't. Not really in this story, but he is getting called out and he's surrounded by people that feel safe yes. to call him out. For me, I rate Arthur as awesome. I agree that th there are problematic aspects. I feel like you address that pretty well. Sorry. No, <laughs> you addressed it. Therefore, I don't oh. have to. <laughs> I think, though, as a hero, he's really awesome. He's a protector man, but he also gets protected. And I appreciated that he had the tables yes. turned on him. Rory is maybe a bit of a protector yes. man himself. I think that's kind of fun to have two protector men in a story uh -huh. who are together. It makes it a bit more equal, a little less weird. Yes. He helped Rory in, in ways that I feel are fairly respectful, you know, paying him for the job instead of just giving him money, offering help, but not forcing it, getting consent, like 500% when they actually go all the way, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. I think he did a really good job. And he was super aware of at least part of the power imbalance, like the age thing, the money thing, that type of stuff, super aware of it. 
yeah, he was boundary stompy and it didn't really get addressed, but I give him a pass. Whatever. I'm over it. (laughs) How did you rate Rory? I rated Rory as awesome. There were things that I wish were better addressed, which we've talked about. I don't know if it would have helped to have been in his head a little more on certain things, or at least gotten his take in retrospect or something. But yeah, Rory did the best that he could. He had a lot of things to to overcome and to take into account. I feel like he navigated his life well towards the things that he wanted. And yeah, he got to be a protector man. And he did a good job. He did. A damn good job. Yeah. What about you? Oh, Rory is awesome plus. <laughs> so if Arthur is awesome, Rory is, is awesomeness. Oh, okay now. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed his character. I thought he was great. I appreciated how his personality was crafted, how he is suspicious and believably gets over his suspicion. Yes. I appreciate that once he was all in, he was all the fuck in. He was willing to put his life on the line just as much as Arthur was. And I really liked that there was that equality there. I also liked the strength that he had as a character. You know, he was very strong. Like you said, he had a lot of shit going on and (laughs) he had a lot of problems and he is able to overcome a lot of it. And I think he doesn't get enough credit in the story for being such a powerful psychometric. It's brought up multiple times. Those people with that specific power don't handle it very well. It kind of takes them over and he is not. Yeah. He does it for a living. That's pretty fucking badass. Yeah, I totally agree <laughs> with you that I don't think he gets enough credit for his badassness. No, I think Jade gives him credit because she actually hires him for a side job at some point in the story and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And Arthur's like, no, poor little boy needs to be protected. And Jade's like, yeah, no, uh-uh. <laughs> he does this for a living, dude. <laughs> and Arthur's like, oh, yeah, oops. He does do it for a living. You're not wrong. But yeah, I think part of it is just Arthur is protective in general. He would be upset even if it was established early on that, yeah, no, Rory is in full, complete control of his powers. Yeah, like they thought the missus was. Yes, exactly. I think he still would have been protective. It's just, it's, it's a callback to any book where the hero is like, no, you compromised your safety, barely. How dare you? (laughs) How dare you think for yourself and take a risk at all? Yes. I will put you in this gilded cage and you will like it. (laughs) (laughs) How about the antagonists slash villains? I have Gwen, who I thought was effective. Ellis, who I also thought was effective. And Zeppler, who I felt was a little less effective, but still pretty effective. I don't know. I guess I just like the Gwen and Ellis thing because of the personal connection. What about you? I agree. Gwen and Alice were both really effective. I like that they were real people Mm -hmm. and that they were actually friends from Arthur's past. The betrayal. I like that Alice truly loves Gwen and will do anything for her. It was kind of sweet and romantic in a morbid Uh way. I mean, they're definitely evil, but it was sweet. Gwen was legitimately kind of scary with her powers. It kind of reminded me of... If you've ever seen like the Avatar, The Last Airbender, how What's-Her-Face can do the water bending with people's blood. Like it kind of made me think of that a little bit, you know, manipulating people's auras to hurt them and whatnot. It was a cool power. It was believable that she was kind of crazy because she couldn't really see anybody anymore. She could just see auras and magic and whatnot. 
I also put Mansfield on the list. He is an antagonist. I think he was kind of a red herring. Mm. He was meant to make us think that he was part of the evil plot, but really he never was. He had his own plot that (laughs) Gwen ended. (laughs) And then, yeah, the Baron, he isn't really present in the story. I wouldn't say he's a very effective antagonist in this story. Although it's possible he would show up in one of the other books and be more present and be also very scary because he has telepathy. I kind of expect that he's going to be a future baddie. Well, how did you rate the book? I really liked it. I gave it a 4.5. I enjoyed a lot of it. The characters, the world building. I really liked all the 1920s lingo. Yeah. And also like how it was woven into the story, but also explained. Yes. So I really appreciated. I got lots of enjoyment. What about you? I rated it a 3 to 3.5. I liked the time period in which it was set. I think it's a fun and interesting time period. I liked how the magic was built up and brought into the story. And I liked the way the powers were represented in the writing, especially with Rory, of course, because we're in his head. I think I would have liked a little bit more with some of the side characters. I feel like they're brought into the story and we don't really know a whole lot about them. There are little clues dropped here and there. But for example, why is Stella and Benson there at all? I mean, yeah, they're Jade's siblings and they run the speakeasy, but they don't really do a lot in the story. Why are they there? Future book? Maybe, but I felt like maybe a little bit more would have been nice. We get some hints into Arthur's past loves. There's Philippe, of course, who died, but he also dated, like, I guess this lord who was kind of a jerk that gets brought up a couple times. I think that's a future character in the next book, but I kind of wondered at some of like these things get brought up and Arthur seemed kind of distant from those things. Yeah. In a way. Maybe he is. Maybe that's totally valid and maybe I'm wanting something that wasn't meant to be in the story. But I think that Arthur is someone who definitely wanted love. He wanted his true love and he's kind of trapped in a situation where he can't be seen with anyone, at least in the US because it will ruin his family name and his family is in politics and that's a big deal. He's lonely and sad and it feels like he would have been more attached to some of that. I mean, maybe not still in love with those people or whatever, but like more affected. Yeah. Again, maybe in a future book. We'll see. Who knows? If we continue, we will see. But yeah, I really enjoyed it and I'm probably going to read the next one because it was good. It was. I'm intrigued. Well, did you feel romanced? I did. I think it's provisional due to the happy for now ending. But yeah, I think that it's believable how the two characters grow together. And I appreciated the stepping around the issue that they had to do due to the time period and whatnot. And I think that they're very sweet together. What about you? Did you feel romanced? I really liked the story and I was charmed by it, but no. Ah. Sorry. I did like it, though. Oh, that's okay. Do you feel that it's because it's kind of more the beginning of their romance? Or, or is it something else? Maybe? Ah. Well, what else have you been reading? Um, I did read it a while ago. <laughs> but I guess I haven't really been reading much lately is Kitchen Confidential and Medium Raw by Anthony Bourdain. Dude was a chef. 
And then wrote Kitchen Confidential. And he had different TV shows where he traveled the world and ate things and was like, culture, look at it. Experience it. Go forth. <laughs> Years later, he wrote Medium Raw. They're really interesting. His his take on the world, especially when you go from the book that he wrote years earlier to the one he wrote later and see little journey there. Are they memoirs? Yeah, they're about his time in the food industry, particularly the first one. And then the second one, it's also still food industry, but it's also because he's at this point, he has had TV shows where he has traveled and he is a name now, you know, whereas the other one was written in anonymity, frankly. And he talks about difficulties in his own life. His take on the world is definitely his own, but I like it. He's very much himself. And he, at least if you do the audio versions, he narrates them himself. Oh, nice. I know you like that. I do. I like author narrated, especially when it's sort of memoirsy. Yeah, that makes sense. But he definitely had talent as a writer. Cool. What about you? What have you been reading? I recently finished A Soul to Heal by Opal Rain. It is the second in the Duskwalker Brides series. I believe I wrecked the first one on a prior episode. It is a monster romance. Ooh, grr. The monster in question is called a Duskwalker, and it kind of is reminiscent of a, at least an appearance to me, of a Wendigo. But a completely different creature, of course. This is their own kind of monster. (laughs) (laughs) This takes place in a world where humans live kind of in villages and demons are also a thing and they eat people. And then there is this other thing called the Duskwalkers, which are kind of like these forest spirit things. They also eat people and demons and stuff like that. So, you know, they're not necessarily good. They're not necessarily bad. They're just there. They exist. And as they eat more people, they gain more intelligence and become more human-like and gain some humanity themselves. And then they start wanting things like a companion. Our heroine in the story is a woman named Dolora. She murdered her husband and his lover. And as a result is being thrown into the Vale, which is like spooky forest land where demons reside to be exiled and obviously killed. But she lands literally on top of the Duskwalker in this story. And he breaks her fall and is able to use his magic to heal her from her wounds. And he takes care of her and decides, oh, this one will be my pet human. She's physically better, but she's not mentally better. She is really fucking depressed. And so she has to navigate healing from that while getting to know this Duskwalker. I'm not naming him because at the beginning of the story, he doesn't have a name. It's a great continuation from the first book. This author has done wonderful world building. I believe a third book has just been released, which of course I'm going to read. I'm just interested in the whole idea of the Duskwalker, what their backstory is, where they come from, who created them and why. And we learn some more about that in this book, which is great. And then of course we have the love story where she, she falls in love with him, but she also learns to love herself. Ah, nice. That's it for this time. Check out our website, romancemepodcast.com, for links to our social media. Yee. 
show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads. And don't forget, you can subscribe on Apple, Google, Amazon, or Spotify. Speaking of socials, were you romanced by Arthur and Rory's story? Let us know what you think. And of course, join us next time when we discuss Transcendence by Shay Savage. Bye. <laughs> I was waiting to see if you were going to do it. <laughs> I was like, I know I'm getting set up for something. I'm just going to tentatively go off and see what happens. Ha, 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 ha.